Welcome to the Cross-Border Interview Podcast, a podcast about getting out from behind the keyboard and just talking. Each week, we invite a guest or two to sit down and talk about their life and their work. I'm Christopher Brown, your host, and this is the Cross-Border Interview Podcast featuring... City of Edmonton, Councillor Bev Thank you so much. Uh, today's guest is City Councillor for Edmonton's Ward 2, Bev Esslinger. Bev, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, Bev, I start off all my question, my uh, interviews with the same question, and you're no, ex- uh, no exception. Where did your sense of duty come from? I think it came from my upbringing. Um, In my lifetime, my uh, parents fostered over 60 children, and they felt that they could make a difference that way. And uh, I tried fostering children. I did it once, and I realized I didn't want to give them back. And I found other ways to serve. And I started with school council. I've been on community leagues and many nonprofit groups. Um, And they all have one common theme children, families, people. So that's kind of how it, I got going. I was a school trustee first for two terms and then uh, took a break to care for my mom. And uh, then when the current counselor was stepping down, she encouraged me to run. Um, were your mother and father political? Not at all. Not at all. So where did your political bug come from? You know, I never ever went and thought I would be interested in politics. It was actually uh, a school trustee um, came to me and says, Bev, you should run. You've been on every other committee. I said, me? I don't know anything about politics. Like, it was such a foreign concept to me. I had never even considered it. So, and then I guess I went away and I thought, hey, why not me? People are making decisions about my kids' education. Why not me? And that's really where it started. And that first uh, that first campaign, what year was that? Do you remember? That first school board trustee campaign? Uh, I don't know, but I lost miserably. Um, oh, so you so you did run and you did lose your first yeah, election. absolutely. First a couple. Um, and, you know, I, there's a lot of things I learned. I had no idea what I was doing. I just did it. And then it's like, you know, I learned don't have white signs in Alberta because it might snow and they'll cover them all up. Uh, I, I really had no idea, but through the process, you learn how to do it. Eventually, I was I was successful. So um, I I tell people all the time, even if you run, uh, run again if you're not successful. It's kind of like a driver's license. I say when people go for a driver's license, if they fail the first time, they don't say, "Oh, I'm not meant to drive." But people do that about politics all the time. If they're not, I guess I wasn't meant to be. And I'll say, no, it means you need to try again. What was the biggest thing that you took out of that first campaign? Because uh, when I talk to politicians from all stripes, from all backgrounds, municipal, federal, provincial, there's two things that always, the, the reoccurring theme that I hear from them is, A, it's always hard to put your name forward because you don't know if you're going to win or lose. You hope to win, but like in the case that you did in my first election that I ran, I lost as well, very badly as well. I think I came last out of a field of seven. Um, so what was the biggest thing that you took away from that? And what was, what would be the 
biggest thing that you said, if I was to run again, I wouldn't do it this way again? Um, I think the hardest thing, and it's hard every time, to see your name all over the city. Uh, That's not easy at first. You kind of like, oh, it's my name. And then after a while, you think, where's my sign? You know, so um, getting your name out there in public uh, for the first time is just worrisome. Um, But you meet some really great people, people that support you, that they come out of the woodwork, right? And so I guess what did I take away is the importance of involving more people. Um, And it's all about people. And you really need a community behind you. And I think I learned to build my community. One thing that I I find fascinating when when it comes to politics is people are willing to vote for you. People who you don't know are going out and voting for you. When those initial results were coming in from your first election and you saw people were actually going out to vote for you because you expect to get your vote, hopefully, like unless you're going in and voting for somebody else, you're expecting to get your vote. But to get, get the sense of other people voting for you, was that overwhelming in some sense? Uh it's heartwarming. Uh, it feels like, wow. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really reassuring in a sense that you've had something that was valuable and people saw it as valuable and they wanted you to represent them. You know, it's really humbling actually when you think how many people put their faith in you to go do that job. Um, in the first time you were successful as a school board trustee, what year was that? Oh my goodness. Early 2000s, I'd so, say. So had this, at what, how many elections had you had lost before that first successful campaign? One or uh, two? I think it was a couple. I, cause I ran from the South and I moved North and I, I can't remember if it was two or three. Okay. And it's, Long time ago now. <laughs> so that election that you were first successful, overwhelming, heartwarming. How would you describe the feeling of seeing that check mark or getting that call saying you are officially a school board trustee for the city of Edmonton? It is a little overwhelming because it's like, what did I get myself into? Um, can I do this? Can I really do this? Um, I don't want to let any of these people down. Um and then, you know, it, it's humbling to realize that that many people put their faith in you. Um, so it's really that sense that you begin to feel the responsibility. Uh, like you have mentioned previously in the interview already, uh, after two terms as school board trustee, you decide to make the jump into uh, municipal politics, into city council for Ward 2. Um, yet again, it... it School board trustee and municipal politics are two separate entities in itself. Yet again, you said that you had the sitting councillor at the time come and say you should run. Why did you make that decision? Was it a stepping stone for you or was it a natural progression in your duty to serve other people? I had been off. I took time off for family. Um, And uh, when Kim approached me, it was like, well, what do I know about the city? Like, she goes, and I, I remember it very vividly sitting having tea at my kitchen table, and she was saying, but you and I serve the same people. 
and I know you're going to take care of them. That's what's important. Um, the other stuff you're going to learn, but you're going to, I know how you work with people and that's your greatest strength. And I, she's, and so I, it is the same word. It's the same writing. So I never considered it at all. Um, Cause it's always about people for me. Was there a catalyst? Was there an issue that was burning in the ward two that you said, you know what? I think my voice would be the best voice to represent the people of ward two in Edmonton on this issue. Or were there many issues that you were looking at and saying this needs to be addressed because in your bio on your website, it says you, and I am quoting here, working to build a child-friendly city. So was that one of the biggest catalysts to uh, actually finally deciding, deciding to run? It's one of my catalysts. Uh, there's a lot of things that you look at when you start thinking about the city. Um, here's one example. Uh, I remember as the school trustee trying to get school zones into Edmonton because we hadn't had them for 40 years. I couldn't do it. It was one of my first motions as a counselor was to get school zones back. Um, I guess realizing that to change your city, you had to be at the table. And um, for me, it was when I began to really focus on what would I bring, what would be different. Uh, I would bring my perspective. I, I thought building a child-friendly city is important. I thought uh, continuing to uh, build a city for everybody. I really, uh, safety is one of the things I've worked along. Um, but really, it was talking to people that really developed my platform more than anything. Because I went out and I said, tell me about your city. How do we make it better? Because I, I think we had a good city. I always want to make it better. And that's really what formed from what I heard from people. That election night in 2013, when you were declared the uh, successful candidate for Ward 2 and the newly councillor-elect for Ward 2, um, what was your first initial reaction to hearing the, the results and seeing that you are now transitioning into municipal politics? I think it was back. What have I got myself into? Because um, now they're four-year terms. Um, it was the first four-year term. Um, I guess it was back to that sense of feeling overwhelmed or the profound sense of responsibility. Because there is a difference in school board trustee uh, meetings and city council meetings. Um, so getting into the council chambers for the first time, the weight of the people that have elected you and in, in essence, the city at large is now resting on your shoulders. You are going to make decisions that affect their, uh, their pocketbooks, affects their garbage. So how do you as a counselor prepare yourself to do that? How do you prepare yourself to make decisions that is going to affect day-to-day -day lives of every Edmontonian or every resident of your city? And, and I think in 2013, the other thing that happened is I was the only woman elected to Edmonton City Council. So now I also had the weight to feel that I am the women's voice at the table because uh, that's the only thing I answered after my election. I did media after media after media. How does it feel to be the only woman? Well, I haven't been a day in the job yet. Uh, um, 
So, if we're going to talk about it a little bit afterwards, but I want to get your opinion on the weight of representing people and affecting their pocketbooks. Um, it makes me realize how important it is for me to um, do my research to make sure I understand and I come prepared to every meeting. Uh, it also talks about how do you gather input from your ward in the city on issues. Um, and so you, you need to find how am I going to do that? And then to make sure that you're also representing those are voiceless who don't speak up. Um, and then realize every decision you make will impact somebody somewhere. One of the challenges, because municipal politics is the on-the-ground politics. It's the politics that affect uh, residents' day-to-day -day lives compared to provincial and compared to federal. Was that a challenge for you to now have to go to the grocery store and people stopping you and saying, Councillor, I, I need you to address my garbage pickup on this street. I need you to fix this pothole. And how did you separate yourself from personal uh, Bev Esslinger to Councillor Esslinger? Um, I think really up front, I realized that um, I'm a mother and a grandmother that I needed to have time for my family. And that after I finished serving, I still have family and friends. So I really made it important for me to set time in my calendar for family and friends. Because um, if you don't block off time in your calendar, it'll disappear on you. And so I really recognized up front and that's what I often now tell new counselors make you sure you set aside time because you're a better person when you do and you you're more balanced at the table um so uh yeah you do run into people in the grocery store when you go to get your mail people say you know I just need to talk to you about that um uh or I've heard people like my daughter and I were out shopping in a home furnishing store and people say, I think that's Beth I think she's right over there. And we could hear them whispering. And so I just went and introduced myself. Um, so you realize you get that opportunity to serve. So it's a balance. Your first term on counselor, like we've said, you're relatively new. You're the first, uh, the only female counselor at the time. Was there a shock at how council was conducted when you first got elected compared to what, how you thought council was going to be conducted? Or was it pretty straightforward in your opinion, because you had that background of being on the school board to transition into a council position like this? Uh, I was really lucky because I think that governance model coming from a school board really helped my transition. I understood the formality of waiting to speak and making motions and, you know, it's different issues, but the formality, the order of things, it was helpful. Um, but I think you have far more constituent work. It's much deeper. I have over 80,000 in my ward. So there's a lot more people calling and needs. And so um, that's trying to figure all that out and help them and be ready for meetings as, and attend meetings and functions to represent people. The, the model of all municipal governments is uh, a vote of majority in city council or council for across Alberta, across Canada. 
the different personalities and the different wards that make up Edmonton uh, are diverse and Ward 2 is diverse as well. How how was it working with different councillors who all have their own agendas to get their issues passed? Was there uh, moments when you said, okay, we have to fix Ward 10's issue first before we can get to Ward 2? Or was there a common uh relationship and common agreements that we have to better Edmonton as a whole and not look at as Ward 1 versus Ward 2 or Ward 3 versus Ward 8. How did that work as a uh, the relationship of counselors in your first term? Um, it was very con- congenial. Most people kind of worked together. Um, and I had ward-specific issues, but I know I had to look at them in the light of other issues. Um, for example, I had a struggle with some railroad crossings. Um, and so I had to say, here's my need. And the question I ask is, you know, how many communities are impacted by this when you come back to see where you fit on that list? Because you need to be equitable because when we are sworn in, you're sworn on behalf of the city not behalf of the ward, and you make decisions for everybody. So you're their representative, but you've got to consider everyone. Is that hard? Is that hard to represent a ward? Because uh, the municipalities that I've spoken to for the uh, municipality month are elected at a large population. So you and Councillor Keating from here in Calgary are two councillors that are elected at a ward district. So is it hard to go back to your uh, constituents and say, this is the budget. This is the ideas that we are bringing forward this year for uh, infrastructure planning, for uh, water upgrades. It may not specifically help Ward 2, but in the grand scale of things, Edmonton is going to be a better place to live, work and play because of th- this budget. And maybe next year we'll get that playground or get that school zone. Um it's challenging at times because some people just don't believe that they're, they should have to do that. Um, and sometimes in Edmonton, people think the North is forgotten. Uh, and then I sit down and say, okay, let's look at the list of all the things that we've gotten. And I, I said, so really the spending is pretty equitable. It's just different things. Right now we're redoing our Yellowhead uh trail into a yellowhead freeway it's a large project it's a 10-year project which i fought really hard for us to get um and you know that's a big investment in the area we just got a new police station we had a new library that first term so um you look based on need and when it comes to budget it's prioritized based on need and that's fairly easy to defend Sure, you bring forward your issues, but you understand where the need is. Um, you you are currently in your second term as councillor for City of Edmonton Ward Two, and during this this term, no one expected this big global pandemic to hit. Um, I I've to first I start off these questions: How is the City of Edmonton dealing with? the pandemic as a whole from a city's perspective? Uh, You know, we all pivoted really fast. Uh, And I think one of the things that I've learned is that we can pivot quickly when we have to, because often large organizations don't. And so 
and we had to keep in mind, how do you serve people? I mean, we had to shut down rec centers and libraries and things that people enjoy and want. And, you know, it's difficult. We, we had decisions up front about, you know, bylaws and masking and all sorts of things. So you make the best decisions you can. It's probably not perfect. We shut our buses down for a while. We needed to get them back as soon as possible. Um, and, you know, you, you just as you go. Um, you I know, was more right? to handled it. It's challenging for people because, you know, you could feel the anger, the angst still there, right? They just want to get back to normal life. So try to make sure you have services available for everybody in every quadrant. And, and that's challenging. So, you know, you want to make sure you have rec centers and spray parks and places for people to go. The reason I bring that up, uh, I'm not sure if you were aware of this. It just came out three hours ago. McLean's just named Edmonton one of the top five cities to live in during the pandemic. Wow. You you are the top city in Alberta to live in. I'm just looking at the article right now. Uh, Alberta city capital has risen from the middle of McLean's best communities ranking to the fifth spot, partly because of how Edmontonians have been able to live during the COVID-19 pandemic. What does that say about Edmonton and your decisions to do things around this pandemic during this unknown time? And you have to make these decisions on the fly. Uh, very proud of that because we've really tried to provide for people during a really challenging time. You know, you try to adjust. We opened patios quickly. We closed some streets. They became shared streets for people to walk. We, you know, you kind of react. Um, so it really shows we've kind of done the right things um, or many of them. I mean, it's not perfect. I don't think we could be perfect, but, you know, really trying to consider people. Moving forward, how does Edmonton, Edmonton deal with the recovery aspect of this? Because this is not just a one-term issue. This is not going to end on election night on uh, in October. But how does moving forward, how does Edmonton work to recover from this pandemic? And are there things in place right now or are there discussions going on to look at the future? Absolutely. We're already well into the recover planning um, and one of the things I'm very proud about is that we're using a GBA plus lens. We're making sure that we are um, looking at it through all users' eyes. Um, and that's some of the work. I worked really on the GBA plus lens getting the city in my first term. Um, but now it's being implemented. And so recognizing how do we do that for everyone? Uh, yesterday at council, um, for example, we decided that we would fund the business improvement area levy for one year and not charge the uh, businesses because we appreciate what they did on behalf of the city, but we recognize business are facing economic challenges. We've tried to invest in our downtown um, because we need more jobs. And so jobs uh, and trying to support business is going to be really, really important. We also know on the other side is that um, mental health is going to be so important of citizens as we go forward. 
balance that. Uh, it helps when we have recreation opportunities for them. Um, it helps our mental health when we get outside. Um, so make sure that we have those available for people. Um, and also we've been really looking, we know our funds are, our revenue was down. We know we're gonna face declining revenue at a point. So um, this year we have a 0% tax increase. Um, first one in 24 years. And that's in recognition that people are facing challenges right now. Um, but going forward, we're going to have to really be mindful of where are things that we can change or adapt. Um, we're in that process now. If the only thing a municipality can do is eliminate services <laughs> or, or charge more fees. So um, we're looking at that, taking a really hard look, and I think we're going to need to as we go through recovery. That is one of the hardest things that this pandemic has brought on to municipalities is the closure of rec facilities is one of the biggest, if not for some communities, Edmonton might be different, but one of the biggest uh, sources of income for, uh, besides taxes, uh, one of the biggest sources of income closing them down, keeping them closed has cost municipalities across Alberta an arm and a leg. And like you said, you have to cut services to either keep that 0% increase in taxes. So was there tough decisions that had to be made? And will there be tough decisions have to be made in the future budgeting processes if this pandemic does not end this year or next year? Hopefully everyone gets the vaccine, but is there going to be tough decisions that have to be made? I think over the next few few years, we're going to really have to be fiscally mindful. And that's why it's important to take a deep look at services. Uh, I'm asking already when I'm out with communities, all virtually right now, um, you know, what do you think I could cut? You know, what do you think? Because uh, everybody's got a thought. What What is important to you? And I, I think we're going to have to pivot and be very careful about that as we move forward. Um, one other role that you took on during your second term, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong here, is you are a representative for Alberta to the Federation of Canadian Municipalities. Is that is this your first term on that? No, I've been there six years. Six years. So you've yeah. been there for six years. Uh, for my listeners, uh, we've had a few other representatives with FCM, but I want to hear from you. What does FCM do and why is it important? That's the Federation of Canadian Municipalities. The majority, over 90% of Canadian municipalities are members. Um, they join forces to advocate on behalf of municipalities. Been very successful to be able to lobby as a, uh, a group for the federal government for things like the gas tax or the doubling of the gas tax for housing. Um, we're able to come together and agree on how we can work towards common issues. Um, as a board member, we typically every year go and lobby the federal government, but we don't just all bring all our worries. We say, what are, these are the three we all agree on. Let's go and talk about it. And it might be transit funding, rural broadband, or, you know, it's across the board, rural and urban issues. But we do it together, and our strength is doing that together. And the programs that are in place are really meant to strengthen municipalities. You know, we train people in asset management. We try to help in different areas. So for small municipalities, they're able to tap into that, 
broader knowledge and strengthen what they're doing. Um, so there's an educational component. Um, there's also the value of coming together as a, a country and you hear all those different opinions and thoughts and um, really you're just trying to serve your municipalities. So um, put, put your FCM cap on, FCM cap on right now. What are the three biggest issues facing Alberta municipalities outside of COVID? Take COVID out of the scenario. We all understand that is a uh, issue that is facing everyone. What are the three issues that are facing Alberta municipalities today? Well, the economy. We started having economy challenges um, prior to COVID and it's continued. I think many across the province would feel that. Uh, housing of vulnerable people has been highlighted uh, through the pandemic. It's even come to the forefront. So you see a lot of the work uh, of lobbying to, um, at, for FCM was really about housing and getting some housing funding. Um, so those are two big ones that are, are changing Alberta. I think we're all beginning to deal with the opioid crisis as well. Um, those are things that impact communities large and small. We are recording this the week of the federal budget got delivered. Um, in that budget, did you see any signs that the federal government is wanting to help municipalities on these three issues? There is some funding uh, for rapid housing, I believe. So I, I began that. Um, the economy, I didn't see as much in there about the economy, um, though I think there's some work on the national opioid or there's some conversation about the, na the national opioid um, level. Um, so we, we've seen that. Um, this budget, one of the highlights was uh, childcare and investment in that. And we know that women have been more impacted by the pandemic than men overall. Um, they lost their jobs first. They're caring for families. There's layers here. Um, they're often paid less. So getting women back into the workforce, I think, is one of the challenges we're all facing. Um, so childcare is an issue I know in our city. Um, trying to find affordable, high-quality childcare is not easy, and it's something that I've been working with on um, for a long time. And I don't know how the federal announcement will trickle down to our city, um, but we know it's an issue. We know it's a challenge. Um, and uh, I'd already been talking to the province about that uh, just a couple of weeks ago. So. Um, I'm not sure how it's going to roll out, but you know, it's a positive sign that the recognition that we need to provide that support to get women back into the workforce. Um, before we go on to the next set of questions, I do want to talk about women in politics. Uh, you did talk about that you were the only one in 2013 to be elected to city council. Um, do you hope for more women to get uh, elected this term or how would you see a perfect, how would you envision a perfect world where women, more women get involved in politics? Well, I think uh, city councils should reflect their community. Ours is 50% men and 50% women. So that's what I think. It's also very diverse. So I think we should have a diverse council. 
I have been working since day one to get women elected. Um, we started programs, mentorship programs, training programs, providing uh, to get more women running. And last time we had more women running, we increased significantly. Um, and uh, we had one more woman elected. So now we're 16% total. Um, I'm only number 30 of 100 women. No, in 100 years, I'm the 30th woman elected wow. to city council. Um, For the city of Edmonton. In the city of Edmonton. Yeah. There's How been over you- 250 men at the same time. What should we be asking women to get them involved in politics? We have to ask them. All the research says that women should be have to be asked several times. Um, why, so why do you think be, that is? I think because they don't, women that don't naturally all think I should run for politics. Um, and I think women uh, underestimate their skills or abilities. Um, and that's broad generalization. Um, but we've been working on this for quite a while, encouraging women, getting women. Women don't like the idea of what they have to face in the social media realm. That ter- is a big turnoff for some women. Uh, I found women in, in Edmonton, and I can only speak about Edmonton, that many of our nonprofits are run by women in the city, big nonprofits, small nonprofits. Women have found a way to serve their community in different ways. They're just not all jumping into politics. Um, Lots more women running this time. We've been encouraging women. We've had a campaign out to, through our partnership with the YWCA and Parity Yeg to get more women running. Um, So I, I think we, when I meet with women, I meet with a lot of women interested. I always tell them one thing, go for it. If you're interested at all, go for it. Um, it's you, worth it's worth running for. You, you, you mentioned in that brief statement, uh, one of the biggest obstacles is social media, the backlash that social media can play when it comes to politics, especially women in politics. And I've seen nasty, nasty things spewed on social media because it's behind the keyboard and they don't need to say it to your face. Have you been part, have you seen that side of social media for yourself? Absolutely. It's, Sometimes you just got to walk away. How? How do you do that? Because that, that is one thing that I've always tried to wrap my head around. How, how do you just walk away when people are spewing some, some, some vile stuff out there? And it doesn't even matter the truth. Amen and if you that. get into it, the truth doesn't matter. And, and I think that's the hard part. Uh, I would say you have to put on your armor and recognize that's, you know, you have to really talk to yourself about that and just say, it's not true. I know who I am. Amen. Um, If there's a woman listening out there right now who wants to get involved in politics, thinks she should get involved in politics, is having that difficult decision to make it. What would be the one advice as someone who has been in the trenches, who's been there for two terms and as a school board trustee, what advice would you give them? I always say you need to talk to your family or your community of support. Because if you don't have other people supporting you and your family doesn't support you, 
you won't be successful because you'll be pulled so much because um, it's not a nine to five job and your family name is out there. And I, I've been blessed with support from my family. And uh, I, I couldn't imagine doing it if I didn't have that. Um, and you, you don't run by yourself and you need that community that'll come behind you. So, uh, you know, I've had women, I say, you know, who's your community? Who's your family? And if you've got that, you can go. Um, I had someone say, well, you know, I'll, I'll figure that out once I run. It's too late. Really? You know, I don't think you start. I think you, my opinion is uh, you, it's a team sport. You really need that group of people around you. Uh, I think people are, no matter who runs, they bring a different lens, a different thought, and it's valuable to have diverse opinions at the table. Um, and every opinion is important. Um, so in it can change your decision-making because I've been at a council meeting where someone says something and I hadn't thought about it that way before and they make a good point. Or uh, someone says, you know, because you said that, I changed my vote. I never saw it that way before. So you have to be someone that's really open. I think if you're not open for persuasion, you're not really a good politician. Um, earlier this year, or I shouldn't say earlier this year, this year, uh, you announced that you would be seeking a third term for Ward 2. Uh, I guess the question has to be asked, what, what, what still needs to be done in your opinion? Because people might look at politicians who are seeking a third term and go, maybe two terms enough and someone else should go in there. Why seek a third term? Uh, there's several reasons. One of them is a number of people are leaving and I'm a little worried about uh, having no experience at the table. And I, I, I think there has to be some continuity I also feel that uh, some of the areas that I've worked in, uh, there's still work to be done. I've been championing, uh, for example, some work we've been doing in gender-based violence and women's issues for some time, and we're making progress slowly. Um, I, I don't want to give up that yet. Uh, I think there's some more decisions, tough decisions we're gonna be making ahead um, and we're going to have to come together and, and think wisely. Uh, safety is always an issue, a concern for me. Um, you know, people are worried about crime in their neighborhoods. They're worried about where we're going as a community. Um, and there's a lot of tension right now about that. Um, and I think we, I want to be there to help form that new relationship, uh, that new position. And I really want to continue to support the local economy. I think we're going to have to have a lot more work in building businesses and encouraging businesses. And, and that's important work. Looking back on your now eight years going into your potentially ninth, if you get reelected, have you, and I'm quoting your bio again, have you made Edmonton a more friendly city for children? Absolutely. I'm very proud. 
I'm very proud of some of the work that we've created and, and done. And uh, we had a program for businesses to identify themselves of child friendly. We had it embedded in policies to consider um, children when we build facilities. Uh, our Civic Plaza, we were going to build out there. And I'll say, so what's, what are we doing for children? And the first proposals I know were awful. And there's nothing for children. I said, so we just want them to run on cement. And so we really worked together to create um, uh, that into building it into our infrastructure. Uh, we have policies now about building, uh, when we build, to think affordable housing, to put childcare in it, to think about the needs of the family entirely. Um, so we're beginning to also, this is, was so exciting, um, to make sure that children's voice was part of the engagement that we do when we engage citizens. And I know as part of the city plan, which was we've just done through a lot of work, we engage children. Um, and in fact, we took what children had said and put it into a comic book to capture it, um, to demonstrate that we heard them and how that was embedded into our city plan and to see children throughout our policy work and our planning work and our infrastructure, but to give them voice, so important. Um, you, you mentioned it a little bit beforehand, but I want to stress this. Uh, earlier this year, and I can say earlier this year because I think it was January or even later, or late last year, uh, Mayor Don Iverson announced that he was not going to be seeking another term. What's your relationship been like with uh, Mayor Iverson and that? how is that going to affect the future councils not having him at the council table anymore? Well, I've only served with one mayor. <laughs> uh, and I sit right beside him. Uh, I've enjoyed working with him. Uh, he's a very passionate, intelligent mayor. Um, and, you know, he had the same vote I had. And so you have to work together to accomplish anything. And with a new mayor coming in, um, they'll have to figure out how do you work with council? Because if it's their idea alone and they can't convince council, it's not going anywhere. Um, so, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, working with the new mayor, uh, if I'm successful, um, and to continue to build a great city because, you know, we're very proud of our city. Um, we encourage people to move here. We anticipate growth up to two million. Um, so continue to build on that. Which I think is the perfect transition into my last set of questions before we wrap up here. This is my favorite part of the interview is when I start to ask why is your city so great? So why is Edmonton such a great place to live and work? It's her people. Uh, I, I often say when I do presentations or, you know, I said, you know, it's great that we have all these lovely amenities. But at the end of the day, what makes Edmonton great is her people. We, we help one another. We volunteer. We have a community league system that's phenomenal, a number of volunteers that come together. We had, during the pandemic, we had communities calling the shut-ins, bringing them things, um, transitioning to make sure everybody was okay. 
Uh, I think we have great people. We're welcoming, we're diverse, and we celebrate those cultures. I mean, we have some great things happening in our city. We have a great culinary scene. Um, you know, we, we have, we're a very vibrant city. All the festivals we have are very diverse. Um, Heritage Festival, where we get to celebrate our diversity and try the food and see the entertainment and expose ourselves. I think that's all that makes our city great. This uh, this show is uh, our show is heard around the world. We have listeners, a large listenership in Australia, London, Ireland. Um, what would you tell once the pandemic's over, everyone can start traveling again? What would you tell a potential uh, foreign traveler coming to Canada, coming to Ed- Alberta, to do when they're in Alberta in Edmonton? Well, we have an extensive River Valley system. Our river valley is 22 times the size of Central Park. And so about 150 kilometers of trails, whether you want to hike or bike or snowshoe, depending on the time of year. We have uh, great festivals of all kinds throughout the year. So no matter when you come, there's likely to be a festival. Um, We have, you know, you'll meet really interesting people along the way. Uh, we build our active infrastructure up. We're hoping if you want to use different types of transportation, we have that available. Um, you know, I think some of the things that uh, we have is, well, if you want shopping, you could go to West Edmonton Mall. Uh, it's 48 blocks worth of shopping experience under one roof. Rain or shine, you can enjoy the shopping experience. Um, And if you're not into shopping, maybe you're into professional sports because we have a hockey arena. The Oilers are here. The Oil Kings are here. And Rogers Place is phenomenal for showing all sorts of entertainers that come throughout from the world to come to us. So you might be able to catch a show or two when you're here. So there's lots of things you can come enjoy uh, and bring your children because we're building a place that children are welcome. We've created a special pass for families. If they want to just come and take the day and take their family on the bus, they can come and enjoy and see all the different things. We have many cultural experiences. Um, Fort Edmonton comes to mind to see a glimpse into our past. But, you know, you'll enjoy maybe a baseball game in the River Valley. Maybe you're winter and you'll take a winter festival and enjoy skating. Um sounds amazing i hope people do visit but my last uh, question on this topic is what's the one thing that is a hidden gem in edmonton to you what's the one place or one business or one location that you go you know what if you come to edmonton you have to go to this place because it is far far what edmonton represents wow it depends what you're into for you, for you, what is that hidden gem for you? That that gem that you go, you know what? I'm glad that this is here. I would say the Duchess Bake Shop. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you know, we have some great uh, culinary places, you know, and, uh, you know, I, that's something I enjoy. It, it's a great experience to go and sit and enjoy, um, take some home with you. Um, you know, we have lots of places like that. So why is it such a great place to move to? 
We have great school systems. Our public system, our post-secondary system are phenomenal. Um, you'll feel welcomed in many corners of the city, depending on where you want to live. Great community leagues, great places. Um, and again, we have a great public transportation system that we continue to expand on for your travels. Um, and there's so much to do in your downtime, whether you're into museums or art or music. This is the place for everyone. If you're a Canadian uh, from coast to coast to coast who are looking to settle in Edmonton, I'm assuming you're a little bit biased and they, you, you would say that they should settle in Ward 2, correct? Of course. <laughs> well, you know, we have Blatchford. Blatchford is um, the old city center airport. 550 acres are being converted into a sustainable community. You can live net zero minutes from downtown, catch the LRT, travel the city. It's a very walkable, bikeable place. They'll have 55 acres of park. It'll be a phenomenal place to live. And people have started living there already. Perfect. Councillor Esslinger, thank you so much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you once again for listening to the Cross Border Interview Podcast. If you love this episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast, head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. All the links to our social media accounts are in the show notes or visit www.crossborderinterviews.ca. The Cross Border Interview Podcast was produced and edited by Miranda Brown and Associates Incorporated. Be sure to tune in for our next episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. Once again, thank you. Whoa!